welcome to Happy Times and Places. I, Toby Haydoke, will be watching an episode of Doctor Who selected by a friend of mine, and I'm going to see if I can guess what their favourite thing about the episode is. My guest this time around has been a key figure in the production of Doctor Who's longest-running official publication for many years. Well, hello there. Hello. I've been asking friends of mine to choose a Doctor Who story for me to watch. And as I'm watching it, they're going to tell me their favourite things about it. But before I begin, uh, I have to introduce to you, the listener and or viewer, uh, who my special guest is. And I'm curious, he's one of the loveliest and most cheerful souls in the whole of the world of Doctor Who. I'm curious why he's chosen this particular story. Now, it could be that he's being pesky and has gone, I'm going to choose one, it's really hard to talk about. Or he may have a genuine affiliation with it. Or or he may have been, as part of this process, uh, perhaps as curious about the story as I. Let's see uh, who our guest is. It's here, who our guest is, and the reasons for choosing the story that you know. Well, I know too, it's the Highlanders. Why has our special guest chosen the Highlanders. Hello Toby, Peter Ware here, Deputy Editor of Doctor Who magazine. The story I've chosen for you is I think one of the lesser known stories in, in the Doctor Who canon. Um, it's completely missing from the archives uh, but if it was ever to be returned I think it would very very quickly become a firm fan favourite because of the performances of the lead actors. The story I'm talking about is The Highlanders. 1966 to 67, Patrick Troughton's second story as the Doctor. It's just superb, vastly underrated. So okay, he's he's chosen it in order to um, to uh, convert us all to the cause. It's, well, look, I'll talk about it as we go because I'm slightly worried about um, how much I'll have to say. This could be for you lot a sweet release, uh, <laughs> right? So, let's do this thing. Uh, I have a recon of the story lined up. Uh, but uh, I know from correspondence a lot of people just um, try and conjure the story or just take my word for it. But if you are watching along, we're going to press play in three, two, one, and go. It's uh, still strange having uh, having the Hartnell titles on a on a Troughton story. Um, although the first Troughton solo episode I saw, it's another story. Will uh, uh, is uh, Underwater Menace three, but that is was such is such a hallowed experience for me that uh, uh, it's 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 still quite special. Um, but I think it was actually during the making of this story that they filmed the titles, uh, but they uh, they didn't th uh, put them in until the Macra Terra, not as like a book that was published when I was uh, younger, said it was ironically the face of the Doctor first appeared in the title of The Faceless Ones. That was a fib. Um, now, I, I understand this opening sequence from... Uh, I seem to recall an interview with Hugh David. They were they were quite ambitious with it. I don't I don't know if it was as uh, as as 
detailed in the script, but they did something with it to give it a bit of bit of welly to start with. Oh, and we have a couple of the clips, of course. Um, though this recon's also using a bit f from the war games, um, a bit of Jamie and the red coat. Uh, so yes, we have we have a couple of clips of these from the Australian sensors, and it's all we've got. Well, apart from the telesnaps which uh, when Hugh David did a, 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 an interview in a Doctor Who magazine summer special, Hugh David, the director, it was one of the most exciting things imaginable because there was a kind of... And Hugh has some off-screen stills. We didn't even call them telesnaps in, in those days. I like the way that the gun of the red coat is sticking out of the ground. That's quite sort of a forlorn and bloody image. Um, not a bloody image, but uh, you know, a hasty battlefield... Uh, memorial <laughs> in a way um oh and we also have uh a quick shot of uh the tardis because uh there's a little bit of footage of director F future director fiona Cop coming snapping with uh the, the clapperboard because she was a production assistant on this um that had been saved for her. Now, I have a feeling the story behind that is, I could be wrong, that it was saved by John Nathan Turner um, because they were great friends, um, which when we think of the wanton and terrible destruction of Doctor Who in the 1970s, um, uh, I think John Nathan Turner was probably sorting through existing film from missing episodes. <laughs> uh, I went, oh, here's my mate. Fiona, I'll save that bit and let's chuck the rest. I, I've got that can be the only reason I think that that that, that still exists, but I could be wrong because um, I've not looked into that, even though I have sniffed around missing episodes quite a lot because they are to me one of the most fascinating aspects of the whole of Doctor Who history. But even then, nobody really talks about the the Highlanders apart from the fact that when I was younger, there was a rumor flying about that the Highlanders 2 and 4 existed. It was it was about the same time as uh, Faceless Ones 3 and Evil of the Daleks 2 came back. There was a couple of, certainly one magazine I seem to recall, um, indicating that you know the, somebody had the Highlanders 2 and 4 and were using it as a bargaining chip. Um, oh, there was, I mean, it, it wasn't just the birth of the internet that called all sorts of, caused all sorts of rumours to fly about. I like the beginning of this, the, you know, the, the beleaguered quartet of Highlanders um, hiding out in a, in a cottage, having had a, you know, a bit of a, having to fight their way to retreat. One of them is injured. Um, uh, William Dysart here comes back uh, much more memorably as Regan in uh, the Ambassadors of Death, which when I get to in this process, I will have a, a great time talking about. And I will, I'm sure, not overlook the contribution of Fraser Hines, uh, whose first story this is, who looks very different uh, he, and sounds very different because uh, he adopts a more sing-song Highland lilt that then having... Uh, been been asked and elected to stay on decided to make his accent more tv scottish which i think was wise um so i was saying about yes hugh david did an interview with doctor who magazine and it was a it was a 
it's quite an exciting period for the for the magazine i seem to recall and they they started to sort of look a bit further afield a few directors like michael bryant and you know all the producers and people had been interviewed a few times and some of the writers but but some of the more obscure shall we say uh directors um like hugh david who who'd only done a couple of stories in the 60s this and fury from the deep um they started to interview them uh and uh, hugh david had off-screen stills uh of uh the highlanders uh and, and it said it's with regret he doesn't have them from his second story because off-screen stills of Fury from the Deep would have been so exciting. Um, and they and they didn't print them in episode like they did later in the Doctor Who classic comics and things and in the magazine where they printed them episode by episode. They just sort of printed a selection of them. Um, and it was amazing. And of course, they didn't sort of explain what they were either. Uh, they just sort of went, well, here they are. So of course people were going, oh God, you know, were these how to, how could these possibly exist? Uh, <laughs> I remember that happened with um, again one of one of the magazines. Uh, it, Robert Jewell had taken some off-screen pictures of the Feast of Stephen, uh, and uh, they went uh, they they printed them, but they but there was a kind of an how can these possibly exist? Well, you know, you got them off Robert Jewell. We should neglect to say that because it's more exciting if we. I th I think I remember that right that they didn't actually say I could be wrong, uh, maybe it was my imagination, sort of going doing a bit of wishful thinking. But I'm sure I'm not sure they did say anyway. Uh, there's nothing like the sniff of a missing episode existing. Um, I love I'm loving all of this stuff in the cottage, um, uh, and whilst James' accent is a bit more. TV Scots, I think his 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 costume becomes a bit, you know, he he has the kilt, but he divests himself of of a lot of the rest of it, and so him and Alexander dressed the way they are here, and it, they're very grubby. Uh, is uh, is uh, is pretty exciting. Is is you know, it's pretty di different. It gives it that this this feels sort of real and genuine. And Hugh David, I I I believe was a was a was a very good director we've got very little to go on well we haven't got anything to go on in terms of doctor who he was still working um when he did that interview and indeed when he died it was, it was shocking actually when you think about it i think he was about 60 he was he wasn't 70 65 67 when he died rex tucker who was great friends with him who directed the gunfighters and was there at the birth of doctor who uh, did his obit for the stage, I remember. Um, and Hugh David, in his interview with Doctor Who magazine, said he was there at the genesis of Doctor Who because he was around. He was a mate of Rex Tucker's, was actually offered the part of the Doctor and turned it down. I think he also claimed to have come up with the name of Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, but it was a really, really exciting interview, and he was he was a, a, a really interesting character. I've actually listened to a bit of it since because. Patrick Mulcairn, who did the interview, was very kind enough to share it with us when we were preparing the Fury from the Deep um, commentary and documentary. Um, and, and fantastic that people like Patrick did that work early on with people like Hugh David, who, who, who you know, who died a relatively short time after at a relatively young age. That's what I was saying. Jerry Davis, who was the writer of this, with Elwyn Jones, who actually, it seems, didn't do really any work on it at all uh and 
Innes Lloyd, the producer, who died within a week of each other, Jerry Davis and Innes Lloyd, were in their 60s. They seemed like so, such old men at the time. Uh, I have mates in their 60s. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this uh, stone cottage set. It, it, it seems really like a very last resort I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm liking the atmosphere of, uh, of the, the besieging um, and I like this TARDIS crew um, I've, I've yapped through the Doctor saying I would like a hat like that which is Patrick Troughton's attempt to give the Doctor a catchphrase which I'm secretly pleased never caught on he does do it again in episode 4 um, but can you imagine how tedious it would have got if by the t- <laughs> if uh, if by the war games <laughs> still there's so many different hats in the war games I would still like a hat like that um, so and, it, and and because castists uh, 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 like the, the, were done in order of appearance in things like episode guides and stuff Alexander William Dysart you it was sort of set up to maybe think make me think that he was a, a character that was in it all the way through uh and yet actually that's it that's it for william dyser that's it for alexander he did um so uh, yes and, and anybody familiar with his contribution to ambassadors of death might have thought he was playing a relatively decent part and he was uh, it was frustrating with him because he's so good in ambassadors of death and he turns up in survivors um, and then sort of disappeared. And um, if I know now what I knew then, there were ways I could have probably got in touch with him. And I, I, I know a couple of friends who got signed pictures of him, I think, but never was never interviewed um, about his doctor, but died in something like 2002. So he was around and is no more, um, uh, but a, a very strong and capable and charismatic actor. Uh, and a genuine toughness about him uh, in Ambassadors of Death that therefore I think would have worked very well for for Alexander here. Now, uh, Peter, you know, suggests that um, that this is one of the least known Doc Two stories and that sort of ties in slightly with, I've I've asked my patrons on my, my internet uh, to, um, uh, to to sort of write in and and ask me stories and uh, ask ask me questions about the stories that I'm that that I'm watching uh, and uh, uh, t- only two people have um, Tim Dickinson and Nathan Moore and they're both sort of along the same lines. Tim Dickinson says, "Is there any Doctor Who story?" that uh, after being a fad for a good while, that you still can't recall what happens in it at the click of a finger. For me, it's the Highlanders. Uh, uh, for me, the Highlanders is one of a handful. And I'm, I, I, I have a, a lot of uh, sympathy with that view in that, yeah, this is this and maybe the smugglers and the savages all totally missing are the stories I probably know the least. The Mythmakers and the Massacre are equally 
sort of you know his, historicals which which tend to get talk, talked about less um and exist less as our as our view of what doctor who is um but uh, i mean those the, the myth makers and the maths because are, are both very special and very different uh and i've certainly given them a lot more attention this i've probably listened to the soundtrack once maybe twice i've watched the recon once um and i've read the book so that's four experiences of the story of the actual televised story i would say three this will be my second time watching a recon of it um so yeah my th my third fourth time of experiencing the highlanders which in experiencing of doctor who <laughs> and there's some there's some major works of art i've never availed myself of and yet i feel i've underrepresented the highlanders in doctor because this will only be the fourth time i've experienced it and unlike you dear listener um you know you can you can appreciate the story and everything it has to offer because you're not having to multitask and talk through it as well so i'm having to sort of remind myself of what the highlanders is whilst not fully paying attention to it because i'm having to entertain you if entertaining you is what i'm doing hannah gordon uh who uh uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day, um, an excellent podcast called The A to Z of Television Drama. And why did Hannah Gordon come up? She was in something and uh, they, they went, the, the woman who killed Victor Meldrew, because she did. I mean, she's got other claims to fame. Um, she was a very well-known uh, television face, stunning woman, beautiful f uh, visually and vocally, um, uh, Hannah Gordon, um, who... Uh, she, yeah, she ran over Victor Meldrew in the last episode of uh, One Foot in the Grave. Spoilers. <laughs> and I'm aware you have to say this now because I once got, uh, I wrote Gareth Thomas's obituary for The Guardian and uh, and and in the first paragraph you sort of, you know, sum, sum up his association with Blake Seven by saying... Um, uh, uh, you know he played Blake and he left and then came back and died in the last episode where everyone was killed off and I got told off on Facebook by somebody saying uh, I haven't done my Blake 7 marathon yet and you've just spoiled the end for me thanks very much it's like um, I mean it was in 1981 <laughs> you know how long is the statute of limitations on spoilers last but with uh, so yes um but anyway, so sorry if I've just ruined the death of one foot in the grave. Although part of me now talking goes, how you know, I don't know how many people listening, on you know, younger people who came to Doc Two through the newer series, for whom one foot in the grave is also an ancient televisual screed rather than, as I sort of think of it, a, a relatively recent television show. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's several decades away from where I am now. But I don't think of it like that. And if 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 you think that seems impossible, you are obviously still in the first flush of youth and you must appreciate it. Um, I'm liking the look of this from what one can, can glean from it. It's a, but I've always sort of thought of this as a sort of bedfellow of the smugglers in that unlike the sort, sort of lyrical historicals of, say, John Lucarotti or the very cleverly uh, amusing ones of of Donald Cotton that that these are much more sort of boy's own adventures 
um, you know, it's sort of daring do. It's it's literary types, but of a of the sort of thing you'd read a, a comic strip of in the Eagle or or have as a sort of Sunday afternoon series. And uh, you know, and so I remember there was a product. There was Moonfleet was on when I was younger. The, a modern version. Patrick Troughton and Fraser Hines had been in a version of Moonfleet called Smuggler's Bay. Uh, now apparently this was Fraser's idea. This bit that I'm watching now, which is the which is the hanging scene where the actors all stand on their uh, stand on their toes in order to suggest they're being you know pulled up by the neck, uh, and be- and it's pretty grim. And because it's pretty grim, the Australian censor cut it, and so we have it. So uh, it's another moving picture that we fortunately have from the Highlanders, which otherwise is a gone. Um, so yeah, I think I think of this not in the same, well, not in the same, um, in the same grouping, but also not in the same league as the uh, as the, perhaps the earlier Hartnell historicals, which I I view in a sort of much more lofty as as, as much more uh, uh, programs of loftier ambition in that they're trying to be sort of lyrical and educational and philosophical um yeah except the reign of terror which is is reign of terror is perhaps a bit more like this because that's you know that that has a lot going on that's uh that, that, that and that also has humor in it uh whereas and this this has this has quite ripe characters and 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 there's obviously elements of um comic showcasery uh thrown in for patrick troughton uh who is still settling into his role as the doctor but of course it's the last historical until oh he's is, is he being his is he being the german doctor dr von Vare, which of course means doctor who and he calls himself Dr. W in The Underwater Menace. So as well as there being very much a I would like a hat like that thing going on uh, in the early Trout era, there's also the he's called Doctor Who thing going on, uh, which, of course, uh, I, I, I love seeing people on Twitter telling people off for calling him Doctor Who and very sincerely going, I think you'll find he's not called Doctor Who. And then people equally winding up by people going, well, he's called Doctor Who on the credits, so he must be called Doctor Who. I don't think he's called Doctor Who. I still think the character should be called Doctor Who on the credits because and those two things are entirely contrary. And I can live with that. I can live with the contradiction because I like one thing and I logically think the other. Uh, and I don't care that they perhaps cannot coexist because they do. Uh, is it, what is it? Cognitive dissonance. <laughs> Uh, but I think Doctor Who would be a silly name, and if the Doctor was called Doctor Who, uh, that that ludicrous um, fictional nomenclature would undermine the otherwise serious and wholly believable nature of the program. Um, I'm I'm liking that. It's going to be so difficult for me to choose favourite things in in this though because I. As I say, it's it's all right. I love it. Gloomy lighting in this uh, this shot in the cave. But of course, you can, as we as we've known, when 
episodes have turned up, like episode two of The Underwater Menace. There's so much you can't even anticipate is in there, particularly with Patrick Troughton's performance, that brilliant though these reconstructions are, and uh, I, I, I salute the doubty fans uh, who, who've put these things together uh, at great uh, with great skill and at, you know great cost of great personal time I remember when the telesnaps came back I uh, you know and, and the, there were bits of Bob's clips I remember saying oh I'm sure people could put them together and you know and, and all the fans going no nah, ridiculous idea but of course of course people have they've married them and and the, and they and they now make it onto the official DVD releases um, Charles Norton did say in an interview that he he thought we couldn't we could we could never animate the Highlanders because of all the tartan. But I've heard other people who work on the the Blu-ray and DVD range say that's absolute that's rubbish and it'd be perfectly easy to. So I don't know if that's a bit of Charles just getting it into his head that we can't do tartan. Uh, certainly, I know that they found Troughton's check trousers not not good to do. Um, and yet, I, when I interviewed a couple of the guys who did the faceless ones and said, oh, and of course, the tartan of Jamie's kilt is difficult. Nah, why don't you just do this and you just do that? So I, it was one of those ones where as an interviewer, you go, oh, I'm on safe ground with this bit. And, it, and actually, the basic premise of your question is immediately thrown out of the window by them. Um, so, yeah, Hannah Gordon, Hannah Gordon, so, uh, um as well as being uh, uh, the woman who killed off uh, Victor Meldrew, which I hope isn't her epitaph because it was she was in one episode of a TV program. Um, she also presented Watercolor Challenge on Channel Four in the afternoons, which was always seemed to be on when I was a student. Um, but um, was she in Telford's Change, a thing with Peter Barkworth as a bank manager? Um, she did sitcoms. She did all sorts, Hannah Gordon. Uh, and uh, actually used to live on the same road as the lady who says Amazonia, Wendy Danvers, who says, what doctor? Doctor who? Uh, at, at the end of The Curse of Peladon. Uh, she used to, she lived to live in the same road as her. That's a fact. <laughs> uh, and Polly, oh, is this is this going to be the cliffhanger? I know Polly falls down. Yeah, she yeah she falls down a. Oh, that's. Yeah, there we go. She's fallen down, and that's the end of episode one. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Alexander is is top because he gets because uh, it's uh, the Doctor, and then in order of appearance. So I talked all the way through that as I am supposed to do, but it meant that. Uh, Excuse me. This is first thing in the morning for me. I couldn't sleep, so I thought, well, I've been putting this one off, to be honest, because it's a struggle to know what to say about a story you don't know very much about that you're not going to see much of. Oh, goodness. What did I like about that? Very difficult, this task as i said as i've been putting this one off um it's loomed like a like a series of black a black and white stills just mocking me so you have to go and i and part i wanted i was going to cheat and go well i'll watch it 
would be more helpful for you lot if I if I watched it first and then rewatched it. But I'm not sure that's in the spirit of this. But whenever I do things like this, I say I'm not sure that's in the spirit. It largely means to make it easier for myself is not within the spirit of this. Why is the spirit of things I do to make it harder? When I was doing Who's Round, I went, well, I shouldn't interview the people I know and have encountered before. I should try it through the DVD range. I should try and get the person that wasn't on the DVD range uh, because that's more in the spirit of this. So I seem to always conjure spirits that make my life more difficult. Talk about self-fulfilling prophecy. Anyway, I I I really like the the sort of grimness that it seemed to be that you know they're all dirty and that and that and besieged in the cottage and on the run. I like what seemed to me, although I've always thought of this as quite a colourful story because of there's you know there's Perkins and and Finch these these sort of quite funny characters um, and 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 Tratton, you know in 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 full comic flow. Uh, I, I thought the grim backdrop stuff works if it if it has a suitably grim backdrop, which I'd kind of not remembered quite so well. So I I, I think that the sort of post battle, um, you, you know, fear and danger and sense of danger in that uh, dilapidated sort of cottage. Um, so yes, the 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 grimness, the grimness, the that that that. That post-battle atmosphere, I thought, was a very solid, uh, dramatic backdrop from which to tell the rest of the story. All that darkness and nighttime and all of that. Yeah, uh, he won't have chosen that. It's quite a nebulous thing to have chosen. So, the things that I've chosen, which I, I love the best about this story. Episode one, the Doctor pretending to be Dr. Von Wehr, the German doctor, uh, and of course telling everyone that that is his name, Dr. Von Wehr, that is what I said. Proof positive, if, if you ever needed it, that the doctor is actually called Doctor Who. Just look at the end credits and you'll know. You, we, we know that that's the case. Uh, oh, so I did, uh, funny enough, it's one of the few direct things in the episode I did actually talk about. Uh, so Peter and I are Venn diagram intersected, but without me choosing the thing. Um, but controversial Peter Ware, editor of Doctor Who, deputy editor of Doctor Who magazine. You heard it there. Doctor Who is called Doctor Who. I call Doctor Who Doctor Who because I just like the way it sounds. And I, I would have been furious with myself 25 years ago, but I'm trying to take life less seriously um and and johnny morris who's a brilliant writer i think johnny calls doctor who doctor who as well i like calling the doctor doctor who um <laughs> and and, <laughs> uh, and uh and i i sort of i do quite enjoy the idea of, uh, of somebody very earnestly saying to me you do know he's not called Do you do know the character's not called doctor who don't you Oh, really? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, have fun with the thing you like. This is And, I, and this is coming from me, who uh, has often taken Doctor Who far too seriously, because it's a very important uh, and serious part of my life. Um, but uh, you can take something seriously whilst not going about taking, that, taking something seriously too, in too serious a manner. Is that, so? Is that contradictory? No, I think those two things can live together. I'm making a habit of this. Uh, so look, have a lovely 
uh, a lovely day uh, and um, come and join me for episode two of Doctor Who. Is that the programme or the person? Uh, and the Highlanders. Uh, see you. Uh, see you next time uh, on the high road. Ta-ta. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest for the Highlanders is Peter Ware, who can be found on Twitter at Percy Iver Woo. For tending my wounds as I emerge from the Battle of Culloden, I'd like to thank this podcast's patrons, who include Ruben Herfindahl, Rob Leonard, Stephen Moffat, Richard Straw, Jenny at Blue Box 99, Paul Cook, Rob Dawson, John Deere, Chris Dunford-Kelk, Siobhan Galichon, Ian Key, Joe Llewellyn, Darren Mackay, Barry Platt, Andrew, Luke Adkins, Peter Adamson, Will Brooks, Richard Byatt, Paul Carrington, Andy Case, John Curley, Mark Dakin, Ian Gillespie, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, Dave Hoskin, Jessica Jones, Andrew Jordan, Clive Lewis and Guy Lambert. The music for this podcast is by Dave Gates. If you want to be listed alongside those illustrious folks, all you have to do is become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, where you can pay from as little as £3 a month to get exclusive material, early releases, and maybe if you play your cards right, even a badge. So go along there if you can. If you can't, that's totally understandable. There is a one-off payment option, ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. However, you are welcome just as listeners, and I'm very, very grateful for your support. If you could lend it by way of a five-star review or positive comments in any of the podcast outlets that are available to you, please do, because that really helps my algorithms. Go on, help me with my algorithms. You love it. actually sounded worse than I thought it was going to. So if you just want to look at my awful face, go to YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel where there is a visual version of this podcast. And you can also go to my website, www.tobyhadoke.com. And please also tune in to Excess Malarkey every Tuesday night at twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey it's my weekly comedy night where i have special guests from the international comedy circuit it's a bit naughtier and less doctor who than this but it's nonetheless rather fun and it's a comedy club that's been going for 24 years so it must be doing something right <laughs>